0: Our story begins 25 years ago in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these seven seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started. Until finally a peace treaty brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Uh, welcome back to Tales from the Outlands. We are back after a pretty lengthy hiatus as we spent most of our free time wrapping up the Dungeons and Dragons campaign that you're here to listen about. Um, For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'm Christian Hoffer, and you should probably listen to the last 10 episodes first. Um, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Luke Kerr. Hello. Hello. And this is our 12th episode. Oh. Oh, I always count the pilot episode as kind of like an episode zero, so, you know.
1: Yeah, but I I feel like it would be weird to come in and listen to everything except for the pilot episode.
0: That's true. Uh, That's fair. We'll, we'll, we're, you know, this, this podcast, since, you know, spoiler alert, uh, the Outlands campaign as we know it has wrapped. Um, we will be talking about that over the next couple episodes, and then we're going to be retooling the Outlands for Campaign 2. Uh, it's uh, going to be a brand new world. Mm-hmm. But uh, I suppose the first thing that we should talk about is what exactly is Tales from the Outlands. Well, Tales from the Outlands is a uh, a different kind of Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Uh, most D&D podcasts are... Uh, Either about the mechanics of D&D, talking about news, talking about D&D theory, talking about how to build your encounters, talking about how to play the game. This podcast is not that. And the other type of podcast that you usually see are Let's Play podcasts in which you listen to people play Dungeons and Dragons. This isn't that either. Mm Mm-hmm. So what this podcast is, it's a uh, podcast about an 18-person Dungeons & Dragons campaign that was started during the COVID-19 pandemic back in 2020. Over the course of the campaign, uh, the 18 players were split up into uh, three adventuring groups with some crossover with players sometimes hopping from one group to another, um, and they all shared one single campaign experience. With the sessions kind of crossing over, uh, the plot lines bounced from campaign to campaign to campaign, or from session to session to session, I don't even know what you would call this. It was all one giant campaign with everything kind of threading together and weaving and uh, to create one large epic storyline. Um, and
1: like my mom used to say when one of my siblings or I got in trouble, we're all in the boat together,
0: so... And that is basically what happened in this D&D campaign. There were times that uh, the adventurers, uh, one group of adventurers would cause problems for another group of adventurers. And there were times where something that one group did made another group's lives a lot easier. Um, But it all was sort of building towards a final uh, confrontation, a, a summer of blood. Now, if you've listened to our past few episodes, uh, you probably have some inkling about what the Summer of Blood was going to entail. Um, But, since we haven't done this podcast in a month, again, because things have been pretty crazy in the Outlands, uh, we should probably recap some of the recent going-ons. What has been going on in the Outlands, Luke? Luke?
1: There have been a lot of problems that have been going on. The major threat that we have been focusing on, or one of our big two threats, has been the Faerim, a group of ancient magic-eating and reality-destroying monsters uh, have been getting closer to their release thanks to Core, uh, and them and their minions are on the move in the Outlands, seeking to destroy more seals that would release more of them from their prison that they are stuck in. Two of their heralds have been present in the Outlands and are causing lots of trouble. In addition, the Arms of Paradise, which is a doomsday cult, uh, has built up a not insignificant force. And unknown to them, they have been implanted with Feyrim eggs that when they hatch will release New Meanwhile, the vampire Kartram has been looking for a seal himself, that way he can resurrect his vampire sire, Golthias. And elsewhere, the Outland Exploratory Company's greatest weapon, the Red Dragon, Ashmaker, has been sidelined due to the machinations of the Lord of Skulls, who is... Fun and complicated, the Lord of Skulls ended up with one of these scales of Ashmaker and is able to potentially use it for great danger and uh, could use it to turn Ashmaker against the company, which is a major threat as Ashmaker has been one of our primary allies.
0: Yeah, so kind of leading in to kind of provide some backdrop, um, about what is going on as things have been steadily escalating at at a pretty intense pace in the Outlands over the the spring, basically. And the reason why is because, well, we have 18 players who for the last year have been largely, you know, confined to their homes, and all 18 of them uh, are now vaccinated. Uh, So uh, people were starting to get antsy. It was going to become, uh, you know, People's schedules were starting to get busier and busier. And basically this campaign needed to reach its climax about three months earlier than expected. Uh, so uh, what kind of followed in the months of April and May were kind of this um, very intense, very fast paced resolving of everyone's plot lines um, where if we needed to, um, you know, if, if, we had some personal plots that needed to be dealt with. We dealt with them. Along with trying to wrap up uh, the, the actual story of the campaign, which involved the protection of the seven seals from the forces of evil. Mm-hmm. So the first one of these, you know, so kind of there were four main plot lines that, uh, not plot lines, four big adventures that happened uh, since we last uh, talked here on Tales from the Outlands. Uh, The first, and and actually, no, only one of them. Only one of them directly involved one of the seals. And that's the first one that we're going to talk about. We have uh, spoken about, I believe in a previous episode, about how a few months ago the Buddy Brigade discovered that Cartrum was plotting something with the Shadow Court. Which the Shadow Court are a group of mind flayers that have somehow subjugated and conquered the Feywild. They knew that there something was going to go down um, early in the month of May, and it turns out that was the appearance of the Shimmering Grove. Now, the Shimmering Grove is a place that exists both in the Outlands and in the Feywild, but only appears when the two planes are uh, like properly aligned, when they converge, as we call it, in the Outlands. And so, uh, the Shimmering Grove is also home to the Seal of Chaos, one of the seven seals that you uh, can listen about in our intro or in past episodes. Um, Because this uh, represented not only a chance to get a seal, uh, it also meant directly getting it out of the hands of uh, two of the Outlands Exploratory Company's greatest enemies, uh, the Vampire Cartrum and the Shadow Court, who have um, been a perennial threat uh to, to the company and its adventurers. Um, you might say they've been off in the shadows. But I I think really more they, they haven't been in the shadows. They've just been like trying to eat Ferris the entire time. I mean that poor dude has almost yeah. gotten munched on like twice by them. But that's not a buddy brigade problem. And I mean my commitment is with a
1: buddy brigade. It happened.
0: It happened during a buddy brigade mission. It was very much A Buddy Brigade problem. Uh, But the Buddy Brigade, they were dealing with their own nonsense that we'll talk about here in a a hot minute. Um, Because the Buddy Brigade was off doing who knows what, the Terror Team and the Tomb Squad, the other two groups of adventurers, were sent in to deal with uh, obtaining the Seal of Chaos. They were aided by the Gritted One, this mysterious orange-furred Archfey um, that had ties to the Outlands and to the Feywild and seemed to be on the side of the Outlands Exploratory Company. This was kind of our last uh, crossover event. If uh, We've talked about these crossover events a few times. Uh, basically, uh, they are events in which when something happens to one group, it has a direct effect on the other group, and it, both groups are kind of doing one adventure. Um, So the Terror team actually entered into the Feywild to retrieve the Seal of Chaos. Well, the Toon Squad was assigned to protect uh, the Gritted One, who, um, if you are a hockey fan, you may recognize the Gritted One and his description as that uh, identical to Gritty, the beloved mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I,
1: I feel like he exists divorced from hockey at this point. I mean... You can just say if you're a effective workers' unions fan, you might recognize
0: gritty. That that is true. Gritty, gritty belongs to all of us, not just hockey fans. Um, so the Toon Squad was assigned to protect uh, the Gritted One as as an Archfey or a former Archfey. Uh, it was very likely that with him exposed, you know, trying to keep. The, uh, the the portal to the Feywild open for the Terror Team, that they would likely, that the Grid One would likely be attacked by uh, Mind Flayers. So, uh, the Terror Team uh, went and, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, they were the ones who went into the Feywild. And they had to find the Shimmering Grove, as from their perspective, the Feywild was just this endless forest of identical-looking trees. And they eventually found the Shimmering Grove with some unexpected help. That of the Bone Taker, this uh, malevolent entity uh, who uh, originally was kind of like lurking about. He had the ability to actually pull bones out of people and then use those bones to control them. He could create bone golems. He was just this terrifying force, and it turned out he was a former herald of the Rim. Uh, which we'll talk more about those heralds here in a little bit. But, you know, while the Bone Taker is decidedly an evil entity, he did not want his old bosses to be freed, and so wanted to make sure that the SEAL got in the hands of the company. So he, of course, the Bone Taker doesn't do anything for free. So he agreed to help uh, in exchange for the terror team retrieving the skull of Titania, uh, a, a, uh, former archfey who, uh, was killed by the terror, uh, by the shadow court. I was killed by the terror team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, that didn't happen. uh, she was killed by the shadow court and, um, you know, basically her bones was actually turned into a, was the, the, the shadow court used the, her bones to build kind of a small shack, um, in which, uh the terror team actually went inside and found a group of Mind Flayers playing cards inside and, and had to fight the Mind Flayers in a game of cards, which made for a very interesting session, to say the least. Um, so they retrieved the skull, gave it to the Bone Taker, and the Bone Taker uh, then sent them into the Shimmering Grove. Uh, before that happened, the terror team discovered that it was the Bone Taker who had actually uh, ret- uh He had uh, imprisoned several members of uh, the wizard Selman's family. Selman is a member of the terror team. And uh, she had been searching for her family for months. Um, She kind of was looking in the wrong direction for it. And since, you know, this was wrapping up, uh, she finally got some answers about where her missing family members were. Uh, The fight that followed was an interesting one because, you know, they're, they're, Purpose was not to, um, you know, fight Mind Flayers or the Vampire Kartrum. Uh, their, their purpose there was to retrieve a seal. That's all they had to do. But the seal of chaos, well, it's a representation of chaos. The seal literally grew legs and tried to scamper off and run away from everybody. So it was a weird game of um, tag involving, you know, a powerful magical artifact. That if broken would lead to the destruction of all reality. Go figure. Um, the party, the terror team eventually retrieved the seal, uh, escaped the Feywild, and uh, the the barbarian Hjalmir, who we've talked about many times on this podcast, escaped only because I rolled two consecutive natural ones when trying to eat his brains. That was awful. I was very upset by this. Uh, Hjalmir 100% should have died that day.
1: But you wanted to give core a chance. We'll we'll find out how that happened, or how that turned out, in next week.
0: Yeah, yeah, because uh, he had a date with Um uh, Meanwhile, uh, the Toon Squad, who remained back in the Material Plane, remained in the Outlands to protect the Gritted One. Sure enough, they came under attack by not only Mind Flayers, who had come for the Gritted one, but also uh, Nyaro, the hissing wind, a giant goose made of ice and snow, another one of these heralds of the Feyrim, and Nyaro had arrived uh, at the uh, you know at, at the uh, site of the shimmering grove, um, basically to try to get the seal and destroy the seal itself. Um, after a very close fight in which the Toon Squad was nearly TPK'd, um the gritted one kind of helped turn the tide a little bit by um shooting nyaro with a um uh teleportation device that suspiciously looked like a uh t-shirt cannon and um sent him somewhere else in the uh into the outlands uh after the Mind Flayers were dispatched uh the gritted one mysteriously turned his t-shirt cannon onto the Toon Squad and sent them into a unexpected confrontation with Miaro the Hissing Wind. Um, now, the party, the Toon Squad, did have one advantage. They had one of four weapons, these elemental weapons, uh, that could be used, that were created, excuse me, that were created specifically to kill Heralds. And the created one sent... Uh, both Nyaro and the Toon Squad, to the location where that uh, weapon, the Bow of Many Winds, could be activated. And so that fight turned into a very interesting thing in which half the party went off to uh, basically turn on the Bow of Many Winds and transform it into the Great Bow of Many Tornadoes, while the two other remaining party members stayed behind to distract Niaro and keep this giant 15-foot goose made of ice and snow and keep him distracted until the rest of the party could um, come back from their side quest, I guess.
1: Uh, So I have a question for you. Yes. There's uh, the four heralds and then the four weapons designed to fight each herald specifically or each herald had a specific weakness.
0: No, um, uh, because of the nature of the campaign, I didn't want to, you know, overcomplicate things. This was already way too complicated. Each, <laughs> e- each, each uh, weapon had the ability to deal extra uh, radiant damage to a herald, uh, to any uh-huh. any one of the heralds. Now, okay, the the problem was was the more of these weapons that were activated, um, the more that they kind of served as lures for uh the herald uh, themselves so if these things were activated too early then basically every week you know nyaro the hissing wind and barum barum the two heralds that have been kind of like actively in play this entire time uh they they would basically just show up and you know raise hell a lot what was
1: the fourth one again because i am not remembering exactly.
0: uh that's here uh that was harju uh the drying death that's uh, right, the big old salt borer. The salt borer that the terror team prevented from crossing over into this plane. Um, Fair. So, okay. anyways, uh, you know, now that all that is out of the way, um, there was a big fight eventually between Yarrow and the Tune Squad, and it was it was a slobberknocker. Um, uh, lots of lots of spells and attacks getting thrown around. Um, a couple of very uh, critical mistakes made by the Toon Squad from a um, like strategic level. Basically, um, you know, Nyaro had uh, a, a a breath attack, uh, a cone of ice that it could shoot out, and they just kept clustering together in spots that just Nyaro was rolling hot on his recharges, and so um, Nyaro ended up killing a party member, uh, the the cleric Kalen. Ironically the one person of the Toon Squad who had healing capabilities. Um, so, uh, eventually the Toon Squad emerged victorious, but not before the Outlands claimed another victim as Caitlin, uh, was killed. And uh, the Raven Queen resurrected her and turned her into a Revenant so that she could see uh, through her mission um, of uh, protecting the Outlands from the upcoming Summer of Blood. So, that was our fourth uh permanent fatality uh, would not be well well we'll talk about whether that or not that was the last uh, here in a later bit uh, that was the mm-hmm. first of several deaths uh, that would occur during these big boss fights now while the terror team and the Toon squad were protecting all of reality the buddy Brigade were kind of they were caught up in their own um their their own nonsense.
1: Yeah, so we had previously swapped the stones on the top of Storm Mountain that would grant us access to break into the Hall of Hearts, which is a demi-plane created by the Lord of Skulls, who was the warlock entity powering Malkador, a recurring member of our party and recurring guest on this show. Or his player is a recurring guest on the show. You should get Malkador on in character. Find out how he's doing after all of this. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, after going into Sigil again and leaving behind Monk Ellie because yes. uh, she put her own rock on top of the stack of Promise Stones and now is forever stuck in the outlands yep uh, we we made a great choice there 100 points to every company uh, we were joined by a new character I do not remember the name of the her name
0: was Vera yep Vera who she was a uh, braided branches member and a paladin so basically swapping out uh, you know a elemental monk with the ability you know I, I will say this about shay's character the the uh way of the four elements uh, that subclass of monk gets you know pretty widely derided on um you know by D fans but you know uh the the player shay she really made that character work and kind of like used used you know ellie and that build Basically to maximum effect. So a, a oh, lot of yeah. versatility was traded off with some good old-fashioned offensive firepower and some much-needed healing.
1: As well as some additional... Well, also, Monk Ellie has done a great job of character movement, like moving around enemy characters. Yes. Yeah. Helped more than a few times. But anyways breaking into the hall of hearts we found out that we needed to retrieve eight different keys and those keys were dark jungle fire gems wind ice hell and clockwork
0: ish yeah close enough we'll go with that what well they they there are seven seven of the seals kind of like basically sub related to the or the the keys kind of Related to the different, um, you know, seals. Uh, they were kind of like parallels. So, you know, you had some order, you had some chaos, you had some fire, you know, mm-hmm. wind, water. And then you had hell thrown in there because we are dealing with the Lord of Skulls.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wait, so... Right, one of the seals was destroyed long time ago in history. So that's why there's only seven seals that were currently active right no no there sure. were always seven seals one of them had. okay two. uh okay so the lord of skulls <laughs> added
0: an eighth room to it all right so side side story here um so here's the deal why there are eight keys hot gas only only seven seals so the lord of skulls um is a nod uh to the 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 the, the name the lord of skulls um is is a nod to uh some warhammer lore um, uh, talking about uh, some some deep Warhammer lore, as is a lot of the stuff tied to the lore of skulls, because um, you know the the player behind Malkador, the warlock, you know Malkador is actually you know a name taken from Warhammer lore, and so to kind of like play off of this, I threw in a lot of Easter egg nods there. Now in yeah. Warhammer lore, the the the, the Entity that the Lord of Skulls is, uh, you know, the Lord of Skulls entity, whose actual name is, if I'm not mistaken, is Corn. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Um, Wait,
1: like, like the band Corn?
0: It's K H O R N E. Um, and so, but the number eight is like a sacred number to him, and he has an eight-pointed star. And so, stupidly. I was like, ah, so there must be eight keys. And then I realized what a dumb idea that was because this turned into a four-week mission. (laughs) Um, I mean, it was a great mission. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like it worked out, but I I was not expecting this entire thing to take a month.
1: Well, we we had the mission where we went and we did the first two rooms. Mm -hmm. And then we did the week that was... Oh wait, no, we only did four more and then we had the last two. Yeah. Which opened up the vault and then we Okay, okay. And we also had a skip week in there because life.
0: Yes, exactly. There's a lot of those. Yeah,
1: it has been a wild almost 2 months since the last time we did this. Uh yeah, so uh, we basically went room to room trying to uh the faithful my paladin character essentially tried to talk his way through everything and it worked more than it didn't
0: that's a that's a complete lie
1: uh the dark room he was able to prevent us from having to fight the dark monster until we were able to bring in the beast from the jungle room the beast did get eaten which was the Faithful's fault, but we did get the Beast to agree to help us to break into the vault that way we would free him. Uh, He got eaten and maybe slowly resurrecting like a Dr. Manhattan rebuilding his body thing? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, So that was the first two rooms, and then...
0: So, so kind of taking a step back. Um, so basically, the, the, the Hall of Hearts was divided into, there are eight guardians of the keys, and they basically need to retrieve the keys uh, from each guardian. Um, and so the first one was, uh, you know, basically a uh, creature known as the Hungry, who was just a, you know, wanted meals, and the only meal he would accept was live food. And so the, the buddy brigade was like, we'll go and get that for you. And then um, found, went into another room and discovered a uh, large beast like creature, beast as in like beauty and the beast. Um, And, you know, convinced that guy who had already lost an arm to this hungry fellow to go and help them fight. Mm -hmm. It turned out poorly for the one armed beast. But it turned out great for the Buddy Brigade.
1: Yeah. And so after that, I believe was when we went to the Gyms chamber where we just bribed a guy with gyms worth a certain amount of money to hand over his key, which he was more than happy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Clockwork Hell where we met the Lord of Blades who is sort of the Ur-Warforged.
0: Yeah, he was the um in in this version of you know, the Lord of Blades was in in is a character from Eberron, um, an established D um you know world. Um and in that he is just kind of this like war forged warlord that is trying to uh basically raise a war forged army to take over the world. Um in this version uh, the you know for reasons unknown, the Lord of Blades was pulled out of existence by, uh, by by the Lord of Skulls, and um, somehow over the course of this, the Lord of Blades basically, uh, through unknown means, became like the blueprint through which all Warforged were created, and the the reality of the Outlands
1: yeah uh he really hated core or he really hated the faithful because the faithful is a butler robot from a flying cruise ship who loves to serve people and after a slight skirmish the faithful was able to make a deal where the lord of blades essentially got to do some things with his mind that uh the faithful does not remember and was like, All right, here's the key. I'll see you later.
0: We'll find out what happens there in campaign two. Um. Uh,
1: after that, we went to the Wind Room where Malkador, who was disguising himself as a vampire, that way he would not alert his patron. Uh, essentially caught the romantic interest of a wind-oni
0: mm-hmm.
1: named Sakura. Yep, who basically
0: so. was kind of a prototypical, um, you know, uh, she she while she was a, you know, 15-foot-tall wind-oni, she kind of had the uh, persona and mentality of a uh, teenage girl.
1: Mm-hmm. And so Malkador was able to use the interest in him to get the key from her. He also promised to help her escape. Uh, we then went to the Hell Room, which is where we found the wee baby of Re, the were-shark baby who's being watched by a succubus and made a deal to get the succubus out if we could also get the baby Uh, she just wanted to make sure that oh we could also you know survive after getting all of the other keys Mm -hmm. which then led to the last two rooms which were the fire room and the ice room the fire room was uh, run by the master of the forge for the lord of skulls who was a fire giant who he basically killed him in a very long battle. The ice was ice trolls and not a lot, not a lot of memories there. The ice yeah. trolls did not want to
0: do bits. Uh, yeah, no. If, uh, you know, I was supposed to say, the ice trolls was kind of set up that if, uh, you know, you Could have like cornered one of the ice trolls, Mm -hmm. like away from the other ones. He might have been able to help you, but you guys just kind of charged in there. I think you guys were like, you know, let's just, you know, we're to the home stretch. Let's just, let's do our business and go.
1: I think you had also told us that like there's only so many social interactions you can do with these guys, and we had like done all of them except for the last two. So we were kind of like, oh, okay, let's, let's murder them. Uh, so then, with all eight keys, we went in and found a horrifying dragon chimera that had that was basically King Ghidorah, but the three heads were Malkador's three former companions. That was basically turned into a abomination to taunt Malkador in the Hall of Hearts, where the actual hearts were. And upon working together as a team and defeating it, in which Dr. Worm died.
0: Yeah, he, you know, another mm-hmm. fatality as the Summer of Blood, uh, you know, marched on.
1: We found out that this was simply a Willy Wonkian-style test to see if Malcador was going to be the next person to rule the Hall of Hearts. And it turned out that he passed the test. Is going to take over a management position here, and Doctor Worm got resurrected.
0: Yep, the okay. Lord of Skulls resurrected him. The the kind of the the little interesting tidbit here was: it turned out that the Lord of Skulls was a former resident of the Outlands in a past in his uh, kind of pre-lich days. He was a member of the Sharn, uh, kind of the. Uh, First group of elves who lived in the Outlands, and um, he was actually a, uh, a follower of uh, the goddess who would eventually become known as the Lady of Pain, and so he had to choose whether or not uh, he would remember uh, kind of the you know Lady of Pain's true identity and be cast out of the Outlands for all times, um, or. Um, If he would forget and basically have um, this void where all of his memories of her used to exist. And he chose uh, the former option, uh, went into exile, ended up becoming a lich uh, while trying to find a way to kind of reverse this. Um, And that is why, actually, um, the Buddy Brigade was sent to retrieve this Promise Stone because by getting that Promise Stone off of Storm Mountain and actually removing it from the material plane itself, um, that basically created a loophole for the Lord of Skulls to return to his ancestral home.
1: Wheels within wheels.
0: Yeah, no, it was... uh, The Lord of Skulls uh, kind of played the Buddy Brigade like a fiddle.
1: I mean... If he had written us a nice letter and said, Hey, I want to get out. I'll help you fight the vampire or whatever. Or even said, Hey, Dr. Worm, I think your hair looks very nice. I have heard legends of your legendary hair. We would have gone to help
0: him. He's not the Lord of Compliments. He's the Lord of Skulls. I mean, I don't know what to expect from him.
1: Uh a hall of skulls christian he had a hall of hearts and i get the alliteration
0: but well you know the hall of hearts was just kind of like this vault that he kept the hearts of his servants you know that was just one like you know one like wing of this brass citadel he has a he has a skull throne i you know, guess his uh... followers have a saying it's skulls for the skull throne
1: If that's the bone you want to use to make furniture out of, go ahead.
0: It has excellent lumbar support. I guess the
1: lumbar support is made of lumbars. Yeah, yeah, we exactly. we made this bit already. Yeah, I was about to say but,
0: uh, it was a good <laughs> joke. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh,
1: look at my very nice gamer chair with lumbar support. We're doing video streaming for the first time, and it's a slightly different experience. Anyways, we then return to the outlands with our new coterie of succubus, wear shark baby, and also oni schoolgirl. Yes. Who is still interested in Malkador even though he's not actually a sexy vampire.
0: Oh, the succubus also has a thing for Malkador too. Yeah.
1: Nobody wants to hook
0: up with the faithful. That's that's because, you know, he's a he's a robot. You know, it's 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 a, it's kind of sad. Luke, um, because Dr. Roboto, the first Warforged in this campaign, actually established that Warforged don't have functioning genitals.
1: I Yomir, mean...
0: Yomir had to go and build one for him.
1: Yeah, but there's a difference between a Warforged made for battle and a Warforged made for a pleasure cruise ship. Emphasis on the pleasure, Christian.
0: A we can cut this bit from the podcast. <laughs> we can. We don't. We don't need to throw sex jokes into the podcast.
1: Who's telling jokes? We laugh at the absurdity of life. This is patriotic exclusive content.
0: Oh
1: Anyways. man! So, uh- so what happened to the other two teams? Well. The Buddy Brigade was succeeding at everything and not permanently losing any members. Oh, uh, uh, Dr. Worm got resurrected and is now one of the new uh, domains of dread undead. Yes, he's so. a reborn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, not not to be confused with born again, he's a reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not get
1: dunked in the Holy River, he got dunked in the River Nepenthe.
0: Yep, uh, we'll, we'll save the Holy River for a campaign too. Uh, anyways, so uh, while while the buddy brigade was, you know, literally off in another demiplane of existence, uh, the Toon squad and the uh, terror team kind of had to wrap up uh, you know, these lingering threats um that were still out there in the outlands. The Toon squad was tapped to figure out a way to deal with these favor mags that had been implanted inside uh, the not only the Arms of Paradise cultists, but also the non-cultist residents of Cathedral Town. Now, there was a little bit of debate here because you know Cathedral Town is is a is is basically the equivalent of that one city in Florida uh, that's like basically owned by the Scientologists, uh, Clearwater. Um, but you know, not every resident of Clearwater is a Scientologist. There's a lot of Scientologists there, but not all of them. And so there's, um, there was a big debate. Should we just, like, try to blow up Cathedral Town? That would take care of these eggs. But eventually they decided to, the Toon Squad decided to go for a little bit more of a complicated, um, but potentially more peaceful solution. Uh, in a previous mission, they had discovered that the Honey of the Tuscali, a group of bee people who lived in the Outlands, um, was actually a poison to the Feyrim. And so um, the, the, they decided to take a bunch of Tuscaly honey and um, basically poison their food supplies. It was basically a giant vaccination mission. Um, so they had to figure out how to get a thousand or so people to eat honey. And so they came up with a pretty convoluted plan. Um, it, there was a 3 prong approach. So that way, if like one part of the mission failed... They still had some other stuff going for them, and the plan surprisingly worked out pretty well. They had to um, uh, basically dose the water supply with honey, um, go and um, like sneak in a bunch of honey buns into like the food supply, and kind of mix that in with like the meals that the uh, was like being given out at Cathedral Town. And also, they tried to hand sell honey buns. Now, the hand selling did not go well at all. Um, you know, they, they had a, um, you know, Jackmander, uh, their warlock, thought he was a very charismatic fellow. He was not. Um, but the dosing of the food, water supply and uh, sneaking the food into the food supply worked out very well. Um, nobody died. They did have to fight uh, the, the creature responsible for implanting the Feyrim uh eggs into these mem- uh people who was like some sort of strange faerum hybrid created by core but they killed them pretty easily it was actually like you know um when you have a you know fighters the the class fighter class um they kind of um reach maximum like optimization uh right around like level 6 level 7 like that's really when they're like they're they're at their most effective compared to other classes. You know, like level 6 level 7 fighters are pretty freaking gnarly compared to level 6 level 7 other characters. And so their their archer who was a fighter just basically murked this creature. It was just like I'm going to kill this guy now. And that's what that's what happened. So uh they managed to Surprisingly, um, neutralized the vast majority of these eggs. and they also found out that the reason why Core had implanted all these people with eggs was so he could create a miniature pherom swarm that would allow that could literally punch a hole through reality and give him access to the uh, seals housed in uh, a bank that you know protected stuff by placing them in a you know pocket dimension so that that was basically why the favor mags existed because you know they were they would be too weak to like survive for very long but just the this sheer mass of them would allow him to punch a hole through reality and do this uh finally uh the last thing that we'll talk about tonight um the last mission that the terror team went on was to deal with Baroom Baroom. now the terror team and Baroom Baroom had been kind of circling each other for months Uh, the, their cleric solstice was actually on a quest from his God Kord with a D not to be confused with Kord, the big bad of the entire campaign, um, to, to head to the tomb of Falcon and basically fight Barum Barum in single combat. Um, so they headed off to the tomb of Falcon located in the fields of thunder and set themselves up for this final confrontation. Now it wasn't just a normal fight. Um, It was actually kind of a a puzzle in a fight. Um, They need to locate and destroy uh, five totems, five uh, stag skulls, because Barum Barum is actually a stag made of lightning and ash. Um, And destroying each one of those totems actually uh, lowered Barum Barum's defenses. Um, And so uh, they got into this big fight. Um, while also trying to find these totems that were scattered about uh, this, like, miniature tomb complex. Um, And um, during the fight, there was a lot of near deaths. Uh, Solstice was basically, you know, constantly failing death save, saving throws. Uh, The good news is about the terror team, they have two clerics and a druid. So, you know, they can dish out a lot of healing. And so, you know, Solstice would basically get knocked down, get it up again, get knocked down, get it back up again. No one was ever going to keep him down. However, Balram Balram did manage to kill Dr. Roboto during the course of the fight. Um, And then finally, um, I forget who dealt the final blow. I believe it was the barbarian uh, Roka who managed to deal the final blow and uh, send Barum Barum back to wherever Barum Barum came from. Um, Roboto was then resurrected using a successful Revivify. In um, our campaigns, you know, Revivify and resurrection spells in general aren't automatic successes. We like to um, throw in a little bit of uh, drama into it, but the, the, uh, the check and the, the kind of role-playing that went into it turned out well, and Roboto died but then came back again within a minute. Um, so you know um, the the heralds are gone. Balram, Balram, and Yaro are both dead. Uh, all but one of the seals are accounted for. There was one seal kind of left out. Uh, uh, well, two seals. There was the seal of Earth and the seal of Fire. I guess I for- I forgot. We we should talk about the seal of Earth because that was the Buddy Brigade's final mission. Um, was mm-hmm. dealing with um that seal of Earth and kind of. Uh, why, why don't we talk about that
1: yeah so the last seal that we had was held by the unjanaf mm-hmm. the secret race of elves that used to be a mix of different cultures but at this point because other people turn themselves into the Tusculi and other things uh, they're pretty much just elves now for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes they had the seal of earth which was the only one that we hadn't tracked down. The other Seal of the Seal of Fire, is still held by that damn beholder yes. in the uh, mountain.
0: We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so the Buddy Brigade, because of their connections to Unjanath royalty, were able to go and track down Scout Ellie and... Ashmaker, the Red Dragon, and sort of bring them back into the fold as we headed out to the Braided Branches base. Mm -hmm. And there we ended up meeting the secret princess of the Red Kingdom who had been camping out and pretending not to be a princess because princess stuff is
0: not what you wanted to do. She was the leader of the Braided Branches, and so that's what she'd really been doing. But she... Basically, to outsiders, she, like, tried to conceal her identity. Um, you know, just... Uh, it was a matter of self-preservation.
1: hmm And so, after Yuria got angry at her, and Christian had to create an entire dueling mechanic system, uh, because Yuria was upset that, oh, people were dying and getting hurt because she was out here not doing what
0: Yuria felt was needed, Well, and Yuria's entire mission was to retrieve the princess and Mm -hmm. bring her back to the Red Kingdom. And it turned out it was because uh, the princess, her name is Ravella, um, uh, Princess Ravella's mother was dying, basically leading to a, um, you know, a succession crisis. So, you know, some valid reasons to be Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, I mean, Yuri also did not trust the party and just raised more suspicions and also a bunch of the enemies that we had were supported by the Blue family who were seeking to supplant the kingdom and had hired a bunch of our enemies throughout the storyline and had given them support anyways. uh, So with her help, uh, we ended up tracking down the Queen of the Unjanath, found out that her consort was, I forget what type of monster, who was basically turning himself into a copy of the uh, leader of the Outlands, not Uh, Claudius Dragonsbane, though, because Claudius Dragonsbane was the guy. uh, Argus. Yes, Argus. Yes. And he had been hypnotizing her like Wormtongue was hypnotizing the king in Return of the King or Two Towers, whichever one of the Lord of the Rings it was. And so we were able to defeat him, break her out of the stupor, and that was able to get Princess Rebella to head back home to bring reinforcements that we would need for the final confrontation of the Summer of Blood, and we had a pull-on commitment that the Seal of Earth would be protected.
0: Yep. Uh well, the Seal of Earth was stolen by, you know, Scout Ellie. Mm-hmm. It was all basically Scout Ellie went on a secret mission to retrieve the Seal of Earth. Um, that's, you know, uh was kind of what had been unsaid there. Uh ah. she 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 stole that, uh, from the Indranath.
1: I mean, the faithful had different concerns. He wanted to make sure that everybody was comfortable and had enough drinks and did not question his horrifying horse.
0: Yeah, no. That that thing just was the less said about that the better. <laughs> um so you know, that, that and that marks an end to the the Outlands campaign. Uh you know, next episode, which we'll probably record here in a week or two, um, mm-hmm. uh, my time's only a lot more free. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about how we wrapped up the campaign. Um, you know, the, the, the final two boss fights, um, what went into designing them, why those two characters were chosen as the final bosses of the campaign, kind of dig into that a little bit. And then from there, we'll probably do an episode. Discussing the transition from a West March style, or more like West March inspired, um, campaign to basically three more traditional D and campaigns, based in uh you know that that are all set in the same world, have some overlap, but aren't quite as convoluted. Um, so yeah. So uh anything else you want to talk about here Luke before we uh, sign off on this episode?
1: uh no, I think that is kind of it. yeah I, I think we can try and get to uh putting these out together um, yeah no it, it it has been a wild campaign. I'm excited to talk about the end and then the future.
0: yeah. Uh, So, uh, if you want to support this podcast, first and foremost, apologies uh, for not getting these things out on a more frequent basis. Uh, We do appreciate you listening, uh, and we'll try to be better about kind of getting these out moving forward. You can probably expect another episode in about two or so weeks. And um, once the new campaign gets going... We'll, we'll try to get that uh, updated on some more frequency. Um, as, if you want to learn more about the Outlands, uh, Tales from the Outlands does have a website. We do have a Twitter account that's been a little bit dormant while we haven't been putting out episodes, but it's going to get a lot more active as we uh, roll into Campaign 2 um, because we're going to be doing some lore stuff over the next month or so using that Twitter account. So you can follow that at Outlandspod. Uh, We have a wiki page in which we talk about a lot of the lore in this campaign. Um, And uh, you can find that either on our website or uh, Luke links to that in the descriptions of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, You can leave five-star reviews for us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast stuff from. Um, And also you can choose to follow us on Twitter. Uh, Luke, where can they find you on Twitter or uh, where can they find you on the internet in general?
1: Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and in many places under the name Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, or you can go and visit my website, which similarly has not been updated, at LukeHair, lukeher com, where you can see comics and podcasts and all that stuff. I am at a weird podcast slow down the nicholas cage podcast is on hiatus until we no longer wish to go outside on saturday mornings um rpg pals club is still updating on the 1st and the 15th every month and uh if you enjoy planescape we're going planescape and other places with that uh and then the second season of established property playhouse is coming up. That is going to be a Fallout set one, and I am very excited. As I made overly complicated maps and planning, and you can just tell the point where it's like, oh, yeah, no, I've got enough stuff. I I'm not going to do more. Uh, yeah, you can find all of that online through my website, and you know, go and tweet out, go and tweet at me, Christian. Where can people find you online?
0: Uh, well I can be found on Twitter at Seahaw for seabus uh I was recently verified on Twitter because I'm kind of a big deal just, yeah you know, just just getting there i I did have some fun with that with you know my uh my wife and my um uh my my mother uh were like uh you know my my mom was in town when I got verified on Twitter and so I basically spent a day like bragging to two people who gave did not care at all about that, which was exactly how it should be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Choff or C Bus. I talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, I talk a lot about Pokemon, and you can find my writing about various things, uh, mostly tabletop stuff and Pokemon. Um, and you can find all of that at comicbook.com, which is a CBS Viacom uh website. Um, so that is where you can find me on the internet.
1: So we'll be back in a few weeks. Before we go, Christian, I have one more question for you. Okay. How do you feel about dwarves having dark vision on a scale of one to five?
0: <laughs> oh man, you know, I don't even know what I'm allowed to say about that. You know, um, like I, I can't even. Uh, Luke Luke is referencing a rather infamous survey released by Wizards of the Coast a couple of weeks ago that I'm not even supposed to be allowed to talk about as I received the one true ending on that survey and thus can't even say what it was about.
1: Yeah, I tried to pause the video and lost the link and then didn't want to spend another 10 minutes getting back to that point. You, You did the right thing. Yep, it turns out the real question was who would spend their time on that exactly
0: well and on that note thank you so much for listening we'll do this again very soon and until next time keep adventuring
1: thank you for being into the outlands